This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. It's hard to beat a Metro Ford deal in Fort Coquitlam and online at metromotors.com. Nation Network Radio, powered by Shark Club Sports Bar and Grill. Don't settle for nosebleeds. Always get a front row seat at Shark Club. Your only destination for pregame, postgame, every game. Located minutes from the rink, corner of Georgia and Beattie. Come eat, drink, and talk a little trash. Learn more at sharkclub.com. Yeah, Nation Network Radio, in partnership with Canucks Army, John Abbott and J.D. Burke with you. Gone down this road a couple times this month with the PA mandated break. And now, lo and behold, the All-Star break game going on in Tampa. As you heard Chantel say, Brock Besser on the ice today in an hour's time, at least to start the skills competition. Some news and notes coming out of Tampa Bay. Uh, Gary Bettman has been dressed as a pirate already, which is uh, uh, maybe going against his usual character. Um, I think you can imagine uh, what Bettman has been drawn up as prior. Uh, talking about expansion, yes, they're expecting Seattle uh, is going to officially submit their entry. Um, there has been meetings as regards to changing video review, perhaps. Uh, talking about the Olympics, Bettman saying, quote, we find that the Olympics are very disruptive on our season. Could that circumstance change going forward? I suppose so, but it's not something we're currently contemplating. Also asked if the playoff format would expand if a 32nd team is added. Bettman saying no, likes the 16-team playoff format. So lots happening in Tampa Bay as well. We'll go there with Alan Wells, uh, who is part of Raw Charge, covering the Lightning in Tampa Bay. And, of course, the All-Star Game will have his thoughts in segment number two. It was a busy week for prospects playing in the CHL Top Prospects game in Guelph, Ontario. That's Cherry versus Orr, and it's a whole slew of players that will be up for the NHL entry draft. And considering the poll question from Brooke Ward, considering our poll question on tsn1040.ca, are the Canucks better than last year? Yes. That simple, but maybe it's not. Yes or no, you could chime in with why as well. Um, what makes them better? Is it the addition of Brock Besser? What makes them worse? Uh, you can chime in as suggested at tsn1040.ca. You can join us throughout the show. Toll free, 1-844-876-1040, 604-280-1040. Email live at tsn1040.ca. Text us at 1040-40. I'm at Hockey Abs, A-B-B-S. He is at J. Dylan Burke with an E on the end. Uh, and we're always here to chime in and uh, offer our feedback or uh, get into a discussion, maybe a little trash talk like uh, the Shark Club indicated as well. Always lots of fun, but interesting stuff going on in the league despite having a break there. And a quick tip of the cap to uh, Don Hay, who is perhaps going to become the WHL's all time winningest coach tonight. Of course, uh, Vancouver Giants fame uh, now in Kamloops has 742 career wins, and uh, he goes back onto the ice against the Winterhawks tonight, so might be able to uh, add to that total. And Brian Kilray talking about the CHL Top Prospects game, uh, always part of the coaching staff there to be inducted in the American Hockey League Hall of Fame coming up as well, so we can uh, get into a bunch of that. And we mentioned the draft with those prospects. Cam Robinson will join us later on in our third segment in the first hour from Dauber prospects to talk about the draft jd and uh, boy where do we go there's so much uh, to get into despite the fact that there's no action on the ice but uh, given the direction of this team the vancouver canucks are they better than last year well last year they finished 
if you want to go record-wise, 28th on the penalty kill, 29th on the power play. We know that's going to be improved. Yep. 69 points, 30 wins on the season. Here they are this year at the All-Star break. 19 wins, 8 at home, 11 on the road. Had 12 road wins all of last year. So that'll be eclipsed. Power plays 6th in the league. 36 goals for you have to like that penalty kill couple notches higher at 25th they have the all-star and brock besser if you're going to answer we'd love to know why it's a tough one i think it's a toss-up this poll question i think there's layers to it as well i mean one of our, our people on twitter who's listening to the show alex maurice he he responded with finished with 69 points last year on pace for 73 this year so yes barely but i still voted no and i think that speaks to the, the larger issue here which is it doesn't matter if the canucks are better this year is their long-term projection any better and is it any better relative to where it should be i mean we're talking about a team that's been in the bottom of the league for three of the last four seasons on pace for their fourth and five years this is a team that should be a lot further along and if they're four points better than last season they're still near the bottom of the league they might even be down a draft spot as a result of this so I actually think that there's some validity to Alex's answer, and I want to encourage all our listeners to get in on this question. Because it's such a loaded question, there's no simple yes, there's no simple no. When you respond with the yes or no, let us know why. We want to hear your takes, because there is a lot going on here, especially when we talk about the fact that Jim Benning is in the final year of his contract, and this is going to matter a lot as those talks come into the final hour. And we can dive into that right now as well. Um, also, with what does this team need to do at the deadline? How does uh, Jim Benning not having a contract possibly affect that? Uh, there's been lots of conversations involving Thomas Vanek, uh, agent indicating that it's been uh, good lines of communication with Jim Benning likes how the current active GM has handled things but it almost sounds like reading between the lines that Vanek despite bouncing around uh, would entertain the idea of moving on yet again to try and be with a, a competitive hockey team and I think he now knows what he's coming back to if he were to resign in Vancouver and would that indicate He'd need more money to come back. Uh, does it matter what the Sedins do? I think the I think it's a necessity to have the conversation before the trade deadline. And interesting again to hear some reports indicating that at, at one point it was a conversation that was going to be held after the season with Daniel Henrik that has now been pushed forward into the coming weeks before the deadline gets here. Uh, I really believe as much as possible the Canucks need to have an idea of what they're doing down the road before they get to this trade deadline yeah I mean there was a report this week and it, it followed one on Hockey Night last uh, last Saturday there was a report that the Sedines want to return to the Canucks next season which caught some people by surprise others less so I fall into the former camp for me it was yes I can see that the, the Canucks they don't really have anything to offer the Sedins, but the Sedins feel like they have something that they can offer the Canucks, and I bet you they want to go out on a playoff run, right? I think that they don't want to go out with a team that's near the bottom of the standings as it has been for the last three, four, five years. They want to go out on a positive, and you know what? I think that's their prerogative, and I'm all for them deciding their own faith within reason. 
within reason because if the contract demands aren't within the realm of possibility for this team to actually get better not just in the short term but the long term be able to take on more Thomas Vanek like contracts the type of veterans that you sign for one season you hope they find their game and you turn them into assets at the deadline the exact type of move that this franchise has needed to do from day one of this rebuild but it's just starting to in the final stages they need to be able to work with the team on that front so that's going to be interesting for me but the fallout from that was finding out that Jim Benning He's willing to say on record that his trade deadline plans are going to be impacted by the Sedin's decisions. Now, I think that this is a double-edged sword here because I would hate to think of a general manager who doesn't have all the information at his disposal. I like the notion that he's going out there and he wants to find out every bit of information that he can, even if it only comes down to how much salary he can commit next season, how much term he can commit. How many roster spots? How many roster spots? Exactly. These are important pieces of information. But... That's not really what we heard. We heard a lot of suggestions that Jim Benning might have to re-sign Thomas Vanek to fill that hole. And it might alter what the Canucks get in return for some of their deadline assets, like an Erica Branson or a Thomas Vanek. Now, that, to me, is the worst-case scenario. And forgive me if I'm being cynical here, but based on the way these last four seasons have gone... I don't think it's wrong of people to, to really entertain the worst-case scenario. It's not outlandish to suggest that it sounds a bit out there that they might consider taking on older players for Good Branson, older players for Vanek, re-signing Vanek. We've seen stranger things happen. Well, last year's trade deadline was a win because the team recognized that they were going to move on from Burroughs and Hanson anyway. They recognized that was the most opportune time to sell high on them for teams that are uh, loading up and need that veteran presence, as the Senators decided, as the San Jose Sharks decided, and because of the return. Young prospects were, were they wide open draft picks to choose whomever? No, but young prospects yeah. that, I mean... Jonathan Dolan, Canucks seem like they've landed a potential top six forward that might fit the best with Elias Pettersson. Now, that's a lot of what-ifs at this point, but it's pretty cool to have that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. If you're the Canucks fan base, that's already been discussed. So, does Jim Benning have enough to get the same type of returns this year? I think that's a big question mark. What is Eric Branson going to fetch you? What possibly is Thomas Vanek going to fetch you? And if if those two players that seem destined to be on their way out aren't able to move you up either in the prospect pool or in the, the draft lottery with draft picks, is now the time to reach further into your roster to see what's out there? Well, I, I think one thing we need to bring up when we talk about last year's trade deadline is, and and this really is talk about shooting yourself in the foot, the Canucks have admitted that they wouldn't have moved Yannick Hansen if not for the expansion draft. And I think that plays into people's anxiety about this year's trade deadline is that this team has not been selling with enthusiasm. They've been doing it reluctantly. It feels like it's the very last thing they ever want to do. So I think that plays into people's concern when they hear the reports that they did this season. Now, 
they did do very well last season. Under those circumstances, I would take Jonathan Dolan over a 2018 first rounder, or sorry, 2017, going back to last season. I think that's looking pretty great for them right now. What concerns me about this year is everything we've heard about the Canucks blue line, and and we're going to have Daryl Keeping from Canucks Army on later to talk about uh, the Ben Hutton, Michael Delzato dynamic. And it seems like this season you fall on one or either side of that camp, whether you think it's Ben Hutton who's the problem on the left side or Delzato. And what's really concerning is that they have to create space on the left side and it feels like the Canucks lean on the side that it's Ben Hutton who has to be shipped out to accommodate that kind of a change. I don't think losing Ben Hutton is the death knell of a rebuild but when I look at what the market is bore for people like Ben Hutton, Nathan Beaulieu very comparable player, better draft pedigree, he gets a third round pick last offseason. Are the Canucks going to do any better than that for Ben Hutton? So I can see them going deeper than an Erica Branson or a Thomas Vanek. I'm just not sure if when they do that, it's to their best interests. Reports earlier this week indicating that Philip Holm, even if he is not part of the NHL club this year, would like to come back and remain with the organization. And boy, it's one thing to say it now. It's another thing to get it done when it matters most. But uh, I take that for what it's worth. Uh, coming from a player to this point that is yet to skate with the Canucks in an NHL game, uh, you know, perhaps he's assessing his own uh, projections and realizing that, okay, here's one hurdle. It's playing pro in North America, getting a full season under my belt in the American Hockey League. Likely call up at the end of the year. We'll see what this trade deadline brings. I mean, it could be sooner than that. So do you bank on believing that? Uh, Do do you bank on taking that at face value? And is Philip Holm the answer to round out a decor as he continues to get older as well? That's a late bloomer if you can live by the true definition of the word there. So it's there's a lot of different ways this thing could go. And you know what? Maybe it's as dumbed down to the Canucks only move one player. And the rest is maybe just minor Tinkers, whether it's you know American League roster spots, keeping an eye on Utica, how you can help uh, insulate that team as it tries to stay above the playoff bar and have some success with a guy like Thatcher Demko, which I think is also important. So it could be a lot of different things going on. It could be very minimal. But is there a dream scenario in your mind that would help the Canucks and maybe help Jim Benning? Well, uh, I mean, a few notes here is a lot of people see Philip Holm putting up these points. They hear the really good reports about what Holm is doing with the Utica Comets. The thing to consider here is that he isn't a fresh-faced 20-year-old, a 19-year-old, somebody in his first professional season. He's been playing his whole career in the SHL. He has experience playing against men. He's 25, that's right, and he's going to be turning 26, I think, by the end of the year. The, The point is that... What he's producing offensively isn't necessarily special for somebody in his age group. It's encouraging, especially after the preseason we saw he had. And certainly there's been enough there to make you wonder what can Philip Holm contribute to the Canucks lineup. But we have to be realistic here. I mean, we look at one of his comparables, Oscar Fantenberg went to L.A. He's become like a seventh defenseman. And I think if you're the Canucks, you look at Philip Holm, you say, you know what, if this guy can be a third pair, seventh defenseman, we've won. That transaction has worked out about as well as we could ever reasonably expect. So people need to keep that in mind with Philip Holm. He is not going to round out this defense core. In terms of what 
the Canucks' dream scenario here is they have got to get whatever they can for Eric Goodbranson. They have to avoid re-signing him. They have to move Thomas Vanek. I don't think they have an option not to. You look at some of the roadblocks. you got Nikolai Goldobin. Can't get into the lineup right now. Can't play more than eight minutes when he is here. you got Jake Vertanen playing nine, ten minutes a night. Not only does it behoove the Canucks to trade Thomas Vanek so that they can get assets for the future, it behooves them because it gives them a chance to maximize the potential on what they currently have available to them to allow young players to grow into bigger roles. And right now I see Jake Vertanen and Nikolai Goldobin running into a wall, and that wall is a group of veterans right in front of them. Interestingly enough, it was around this time last year where the Canucks, uh, after moving Alex Burroughs and Yannick Hansen, started that progression ever so slowly to playing more of the less experienced guys on their roster. And starting to find out what they had with some of their younger players in the system and on the current NHL roster. They were very close to being in a wild card spot before the break. They had an awful game against Arizona heading in uh, where it was one of their worst games of the years. Oh, where that sounds familiar. <laughs> Buffalo Sabres look no further to the, the game that just got played. Deja vu all over again. Well, I wonder if it is because uh, you could certainly make a case that for a team that's struggling, uh, that still isn't completely healthy, if you're moving out a couple players, and we'll find out exactly how that how many that is, you know, after the trade deadline, should it be the same type of uh, line walked where you talk to the coach and more and more guys are getting longer looks, and you find out you're able to make decisions on players as to you know how things are going to turn out and and how guys react to having more tutelage and more opportunity. And that's something Willie Desjardins pushed back against. You can understand the situation he was in because he knew he was coaching for his job. Different situation with Travis Green. But I wonder if it's still the same in some ways where it's really hard to ask any coach to put yourself in that position and change things around. And so I think in a lot in a long way in a roundabout way that does come back to a little bit of knowing where you're at with guys like Daniel and Henrik Sedin because if there's a good chance they return and I tend to lean with that line of thinking I tend to pitch my tent in that camp that they will come back well you realize those two roster spots are not being opened up so do you look elsewhere are you content with you know having more seasoning for some guys? Are you content with having players maybe take a step uh, in a different direction if they haven't elevated their game to this point that, okay, it's time to change their course a little bit? Uh, Many questions, it seems like, and uh, yet the Vancouver Canucks, for a while there, were surprising with the play, and uh, you can't turn away, can't turn a blind eye to injuries, and uh, it's just been ridiculous in the last two and a half seasons. Um, So I'm sure Travis Green will tell you his team is different when fully healthy, and I'm sure it can be, but you can't deny where the team is currently at right now, and that's headed for another top five pick. Uh, Quickly, instant reaction via text message inbox. Johnny Mack weighs in. Worse than last year. Pre-deadline with Burroughs, Hanson, and Miller. Better than last year. Post-deadline. Uh, thanks to Johnny for writing in. You can text us at 104040, email us live at tsn1040.ca. 
Call us up, 604-280-1040, toll-free, 1-844-876-1040. John Abbott, J.D. Burke with you until 5 o'clock. It is Nation Network Radio, courtesy Canucks Army and Shark Club Sports Bar and Grill. We'll get to Tampa Bay and connect with Alan Wells on the other side as we continue to talk Canucks hockey on TSN 1040. Nation Network Radio, powered by Shark Club Sports Bar and Grill. Don't settle for nosebleeds. Always get a front-row seat at Shark Club, your only destination for pregame, postgame, Every game, located minutes from the rink, corner of Georgia and Beattie. Come eat, drink, and talk a little trash. Learn more at sharkclub.com. Yeah, Nation Network Radio, in partnership with Canucks Army, John Abbott, and J.D. Burke with you. I was hoping he'd get into that competition. A great article by uh, Mike Russo coming out of The Athletic through Minnesota. Of course, uh, Brock Besser, the Burnsville boy. Uh, fantastic. I mean, I think... Canucks fans have been well-educated and well-read on the Besser backstory, but if you have the moment, um, find this on Twitter, out of The Athletic, and Mike Russo, just a even more details into the, the upbringing of Brock, the challenges he has overcome, and uh, his dad saying that he hoped he'd be part of the accuracy shooting competition. And lo and behold, the wish has been granted. That goes in about an hour's time. Uh, Besser, along the likes of Crosby, Stamkos, Kopitar, Neil, Wheeler, Boyle, and Marshan uh, for that competition. Lots of action in Tampa Bay. And that's where our next guest will join us from, Alan Wells, part of Raw Charge covering the Lightning uh, as we check in from Florida. Looks like a great time, Alan. I uh, appreciate you joining us on a busy weekend for you, but set the scene a little bit. We saw Gary Bettman in a pirate costume. Is that the best thing that's come out of the All-Star festivities so far? Uh, I might have to put the, uh, the the pictures of Victor Hedman and, and Eric Carlson in their uh, in their pirate getup, so a little ahead of a little ahead of a Batman. But yeah, it's, looks like everybody's having having a fun time in Tampa. It's, it's Gasparilla weekend, obviously. It's a big big parade and party, and and it's uh, All Star Games folding folding right into that. So that seems to be working out well for everyone. And speaking of Victor Hedman, I'm just looking at Twitter here. Uh, James Myrtle from The Athletic, he just put out a press release that said, Lightning defenseman Victor Hedman named to equipment staff for the Atlantic Division during the 2018 Honda NHL All-Star Game. Is that real? Uh, yeah, it, it appears to be real. Actually, his his dad uh, was an equipment manager, um, so he's got that he's got in the he's got that in the in the blood. Um, I'm sure they're just trying to find you know he's such a prominent prominent person in the community and in the team, and so I'm sure they're just finding ways to keep him involved and keep him visible for for the weekend. He's such a important star for the league as a whole, and, and especially for the Lightning. Well, we're talking about uh, Victor Hedman here, and again, we've got Alan Wells from Raw Charge joining us on Nation Network Radio. You can follow him at Loser Points. Talking about Victor Hedman, I'm just looking at the PHWA's midseason awards, and they got fans involved. They got a lot of the professional hockey writers involved. Victor Hedman right now in first place for Norse Trophy voting. It feels like he's been hovering in that territory for a couple of years now. What do you think has been the difference this season that he's finally starting to get his due as a serious Norris Trophy candidate? I think with with those awards, uh, a lot of the time it, it just it takes a, a few years to to gain some momentum and, and gain some steam and gain some recognition around the league. Um, I'm not even sure that this is this is the best year that that he's had, and he's usually he's usually a second half player, so usually you see his best stuff um, after the All Star break. He had a little bit of a slow start, but I I think almost almost any season he's going to be at least in the discussion, you know, if, if not in the top three, and and just the way that he 
he, he really carries what is, you know, aside from him, uh, and they also have Strawman and then, then the rookie, Sergei Chavez, who's played really well. But after that, it starts to get, starts to get a little sketchy, especially on the, on the right hand side with, 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 uh, his, his former partner, Strawman, having to, to kind of, uh, pair with Sergei Chavez this year to make sure that he, he stays on the right track with his development. So he's been carrying, you know, a little bit of a weaker a partner in Jake Dodgson and still putting up really good results. So it's just, it's, it's nice to have that guy that you can kind of put there and, and play anyone with him and know that things are going to go well. Well, you, you brought up Michael Sergachev, and that's somebody who, based on a source I have said, the Canucks had him second, right behind Ole Ulevi on their defensive depth chart for that draft. Uh, I don't mean to pain Canucks fans here, but what can you tell us about his progression? Because he's somebody who's this market has been following relatively closely, just given the kind of speculation that went into that draft year. How has he fared in Tampa Bay? A couple healthy scratches lately, but overall a good season? Yeah, he's he's been more than I even than than I expected when they when they did the trade for for Jonathan Drew and of course sent him to Montreal and then brought Sergeyev back in return and that was a that was a risky deal for both teams both of those players I think you know we're we're seen to have pretty high ceilings at that time but uh, Sergeyev has come in and they've they've been really strategic in the way that they've they've got him involved this year like I said they've they've paired him with Anton Strawman who's about as reliable of a partner as you can you can possibly imagine in terms of being you know really solid defensively and uh, just kind of erasing any kind of mistakes that might happen uh, with, with a young player out there. So just really smart in the way that they've used him. He's, he's been great on the power play. He shows kind of all the flashy stuff that you expect that you would expect, you know, with the puck handling at the at the blue line. And you know, I'm sure that drives the coaches crazy sometimes. But he uh, he, he's got a he's got a great shot. He's got great vision in the offensive zone. Um, they, there's a ton of potential there, and I'm I'm excited to see how that develops over the next couple of years. And I can understand from the Canucks' perspective, um, sort of with when you can when you compare where where he and Ulevi are at this at this point, it seems like maybe there's a little bit of a gap there, so that, that might be a pain point going forward. Alan Wells joins us from Raw Charge in Tampa Bay, home of the All-Star Weekend and plenty of festivities. Canucks will see the Lightning twice uh, very soon after the break, 3rd and 8th of February, and of course, uh, John Cooper from Prince George, B.C. is always a, uh, a, a welcomed sight in these parts and a lot of friends and family in the area. I couldn't believe how much flack he was taking last year, particularly Alan, given the injuries even in the last two years, I don't have to remind you of the playoff performances and then losing, you know, whether it was a goaltender or your star player and Steven Stamkos. Uh, were you always a believer that Cooper was the guy to help this team? Here they are first in the Atlantic and maybe the favorites again this year. Or was there some doubt there? Um, you know, I, I think last year it, it uh it, it, it shook the confidence a little bit. Um, I think, you know, from my perspective, I definitely was not ready to move on from him and wanted to wanted to see him have have a, a full season with with healthy players and and at least you know see how things went this year. But I think the some of the concern last year, you know, if you were going to be on the negative side, was was that you know they had all the injuries, um, you know, and there were definitely plenty of reasons for the team to struggle. But I think some some folks were maybe looking for some adjustments, um, especially in the way they utilize players on, on the blue line. They had some, some rough results back there for, for, you know, a long time, almost well into January and February and would have liked to see some adjustments earlier. But I think the, the way the team has bounced back this year has, you know, whatever concerns existed or have, have been silenced uh, pretty emphatically for now. 
Yeah, I'm just looking at the PHWA midseason awards here, and it's just littered with Tampa Bay Lightning. And, of course, right near the top of that list, you've got John Cooper, second to only Gerard Gallant for the Jack Adams Award. But somebody who we might not have expected to see in consideration, again, a little bit like Hedman, Andre Vasilevsky. I mean, the torch has been passed. He is running away with the Vesna Trophy voting. How is Vasilevsky adjusted to being the starter this year and getting the job and being able to run with it? That's another guy who, a young guy who, who has to do a lot more this year and is just, again, exceeding expectations. I mean, he he obviously has the, the talent and the ability. I think anybody who, who watches goalies and that has been saying that for years, just the, the athleticism, the flexibility, and then also, you know, really solid positionally and, and, and sees the puck really well and um, seems to have the right mentality, you know, as, as well to, to play that position. And uh, it just, just really really kind of come, all coming together for him. He had one little rough, st- rough stretch there uh, a few games ago, but he, he bounced back and had, had two really solid games before the break. So, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's huge when you can add uh, that, that element to a team that already has a, a ton of offensive firepower and is, is going to shoot a high percentage unit. You know, they're going to finish their chances, and then you put somebody in the net who can, who can take away chances from the other team when, when they should have goals. And uh, that's, a, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty solid formula for, for winning hockey games. Yeah, and it seems to be working for the Lightning right now, first in the NHL. Now, one thing that strikes me about the off-ice product with the Tampa Bay Lightning is every time I watch them, and they're a lot of fun to watch this year, I recommend it to anybody who's a fan of the sport as much as they are the Canucks, catch some Tampa Bay Lightning games. But you notice that the seats are always packed, and it looks like they're having a blast with the All-Star Game weekend. Tampa Bay, a relatively new market. What has worked so well for getting fans involved with the Tampa Bay Lightning, and especially on the heels of commentary from Gary Bettman in Tampa Bay about the possibility of Seattle getting an NHL expansion team in the following seasons. So, I I mean, I think, you know, we could have had the exact opposite conversation uh, about seven or eight years ago um, in terms of how the franchise was struggling and and things like that. So I think it really comes down to ownership. Um, You know, um, you mentioned James Merrill earlier. He had a, he had a piece in the athletic, I think yesterday about Jeff Finnick um, and what, what he's meant since he purchased the team and, and really just invested the right way, um, brought in the, the right people to run the team. And it's, it's, the first step is always creating a competitive on ice product. I mean, you, no matter no matter what you do off the ice, you, you have to have a competitive on ice product, and they and they did that. And then they've just been so smart about the way they engage with the community, and and they have a ton of different um, charitable organizations, and and Vinick makes a ton of different um, donations throughout the community, and then they also do a lot of stuff where they they send folks from the organization out to local schools and do you know do hockey clinics and and get get sticks in, in the hands of kids who, who maybe didn't even know the game existed until until the Lightning came to visit their school and they do that not just in the Tampa Bay area but you know in, in the surrounding counties and they've just done a, a really solid job of just building up a fan base and you know they've also probably benefited from from you know having a couple other sports teams in the area you know namely the Rays and the, and the Bucks who don't do a great job of engaging with the community and uh, seem a little distant at times so they've just they just embraced it and not not asked for a lot in return and then put together a good product and all that stuff results in <laughs> filling the rink every night. Alan, a real pleasure to check in with you today, particularly on the busy weekend that is All-Star Weekend. So go enjoy yourself uh, for the next two days, but also all season. What a fun team to cover there in Tampa, and appreciate your time today. 
Absolutely. Appreciate you guys having me. Alan Wells from Raw Charge joining us and uh, very informative, very fun uh, conversation with him there. Interestingly enough, you have Tim Lewick. He was helping to bring the NHL back to Seattle, so we uh, suppose. It seems like it's uh, just awaiting that final submission uh, from the Oakview group. And then you have Todd Lewicki, his brother, who was instrumental uh, in helping get the Tampa Bay Lightning to where they are now, although moving aside and is currently with the NFL. So the Lewicki connection strong in both those markets that we just referenced. Uh, We have... Cam Robinson coming up on the other side to dive into the upcoming NHL entry draft and uh, maybe where the Canucks can position themselves, what names to be aware of. It is Nation Network Radio in partnership with Shark Club Sports Bar and Grill continuing on TSN 1040. Nation Network Radio, powered by Shark Club Sports Bar and Grill. Don't settle for nosebleeds. Always get a front row seat at Shark Club. Your only destination for pregame, postgame, Every game, located minutes from the rink, corner of Georgia and Beattie. Come eat, drink, and talk a little trash. Learn more at sharkclub.com. Yeah, Nation Network Radio, in partnership with Canucks Army, John Abbott and J.D. Burke with you. A draft dream for the Vancouver Canucks with what Brock is putting up. My goodness, leading the team in goals with 24 points with 43. Hard to believe that uh, so many others passed on him. And to find out who the Canucks shouldn't pass on in 2018, we're joined by Cam Robinson. At Crazy Joe Devola 3, better known from Dauber Prospects, who recently put out their draft rankings. Uh, we'll compare a little bit with TSN Bob McKenzie as well, who has his out. You can find it at tsn.ca. But uh, that's where we go to next. Cam, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. The consensus number one is, I believe, undebatable and probably not much point in talking about Rasmus Dahlin because he is exceptional and is there for good reason. But number two uh, is interesting. And uh, J.D. and I were reading over the list comparing yours to uh, from Dauber Prospects to the likes of Bob McKenzie. McKenzie has Andrei Svechnikov out of Russia playing with Barry at number two. You have Philip Zadina out of uh, the Czech Republic playing with Halifax as number two. Uh, what uh, what brings Zadina into that coveted second position? Well, I, I, uh, I'll be honest, uh, that's as close to a 2A, 2B situation as, as it's going to come for me. Uh, I flip-flopped many times uh, leading up to publishing this most recent rankings, but uh, the way Zadina played at the World Juniors... Uh, uh, you know, was a step above. Svechnikov didn't get the opportunities with Team Russia. They favor 19-year-olds heavily, uh, where Zadina got to play all the important minutes for his Czech squad. But uh, still, what he did was was really impressive. And what he's been doing for Halifax all season in the queue has been has been tremendous. Um, the top prospects game just a couple nights ago, he once again uh, shone brighter than than Svechnikov there for the second major scouting event. So. Um, I think he's I think he's earned that uh, that number two spot for him. But uh, to be quite frank, I think I think number two is wide open right now, and there's several players that could make a push for it. You know what? I was just looking at the uh, top prospects game this morning. I was a couple days behind. Just work kind of kept me from watching that. But I got to say, I was watching that and I couldn't believe how good Zadina looked. But also Andre Sveshnikov. One of the things I love about his game is that he doesn't give up on a play. If he has a scoring chance, he misses the net. He's going to be the first person on that puck setting up his teammate. Uh, but you know what? I'm starting to think that Zadina at two isn't as disagreeable as it might have seemed a month or two ago. Now, one other player that caught my eye on your draft rankings was Quinn Hughes. And I've written about him for The Athletic. I've followed him since last year at the uh, National Team Development Program. What can you tell our listeners about Quinn Hughes, who might fit the bill as a power play quarterback that the Canucks could be looking at if they're drafting in the 5-7 to seven range? 
Yeah, he's he's uh, an undersized defender. He's a left shot guy, uh, about five nine, one hundred and seventy pounds. For my money, he's the best skater in the entire draft. He's uh, he's basically a one man breakout machine. So he can he can get the puck behind his net or in the corner, and he he can just fly out of the zone and create separation through the neutral zone and and force defenders to back up and and gain entry into into the offensive end on you know even strength along the power play. He just he just makes that happen, and he draws people either <clears throat> they close up on him and uh, and then someone else is open, or he just blows right by him. So his speed is is tremendous. What he's doing, he's playing uh, in the NCAA this year. It's draft eligible because he's a 99 birth date, so he's a little bit older for this class. But um, he's doing very, very well. He did great at the at the program, like you said last year. Um, he's he's his role kind of went up and down at the World Juniors. He started out playing a ton of minutes, and then as the the medal rounds came along, he, he had his ice cut a little bit after a few mistakes, which is natural for a young player. Um, but then he saw some more ice in in the tournament war on towards the end too. So I really like Quinn Hughes, and I've got him number four. Him and Adam Boquist at four or five, I think, are are very interchangeable at that spot. Too and and with Bokwas being a right shot defender, that might appeal to the Canucks a little more. But but either would be uh, terrific power play quarterbacks for them down the road. Cam, that's where I was going next, and uh, fortunately had a front row seat at the World Juniors, and couldn't agree more with you on Quinn Hughes. Uh, just <laughs> glued to the edge of the booth when he was out there because, as much like Rasmus Dahlin, he just has so many different tools. You don't know uh, what he's going to do from shift to shift, and uh, I really like Zadina as well. So appreciate your feedback there as to why he might be number two. But what can you tell us about Bokvist that may intrigue the Canucks, assuming they do pick within the top five or? at five again yeah so another guy great great skater he has terrific vision um he's got quick puck skills so soft hands uh, a heavy shot he loves to fire the puck um i'd like to see him hit the net a little bit more if i'm nitpicking but uh it's great quite honest he, he he gets his shot through so just finding the net will be something he can continue to work on he's uh a guy who is just a month away from being eligible for the 2019 draft. So he's quite young, the opposite of Hughes, basically. Um, so he, he's, he's showing a lot of progression early. So you can kind of see that developmental arc. He could be a player that has a huge, huge ceiling. Um, might be a little bit longer of a wait because he's a younger guy. Also a little bit undersized, uh, 5'11", 170, 175 pounds. Um, he's kind of been stuck in, uh, in Sweden this year. So he was too good for the uh, under-20 circuit putting up big numbers, uh, getting too few minutes in the Swedish Hockey League. And so now he's in the Allsvenskan, uh, the same league as Jonathan Dahl in there, and uh, he's, he's doing quite well. Uh, he's not putting up a ton of points. I believe he's just got a couple of assists in seven games, but he's getting that, that you know, 17, 18 minutes a night. He's starting to look more comfortable on the pro level. Uh, he'll get his feet wet. I assume he'll he'll play in the SHL next season and, and play a major role for, for teams from the, uh, Sweden at the World Juniors as well. Uh, I really like Adam Bolquist. I know a lot of people have him even higher uh, pushing for that two spot, and that wouldn't surprise me either but his season's kind of been tough because he's moved around so much that he hasn't really got too comfortable so i'm hoping that with the all in here he's uh, he's going to get his uh, his footing underneath him nation network radio speaking with cam robinson at crazy joe davola from dauber prospects i hate to keep just moving up your list here but brady kachuk is somebody who's going to be of interest to the canucks as they go into this draft especially again if the lottery pushes them to the five six seven range there's a lot of regret in this city that they passed up on his brother Matthew. Is there going to be that? Same I haven't heard that before. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'm not one of those people. Frankly, I like you, Olivia. I like the pick at the time. What can you tell us about Brady Kachuk? And is he somebody who could that really help advance the Canucks rebuild with this abrasive pro style of game? He could, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, I keep harping on birthdays here, but he's another guy. He's a, a, a very old uh, player for this crop, so he was one day away from being eligible for last year's class. So he's he's the elder statesman of the 2018 crop. 
Um, but you're right. He plays in a, a brace of style game. He's got good hands. He's a great finisher. Uh, I don't see him as a center, even though he plays some uh, down the middle. I see him as a winger, and he, he kind of needs a, another guy to get the puck to him. So uh, he, he would be a terrific add to the Canucks. Uh, they're, they're fairly deep on the wing position, but on the left side, he, he could help out for sure. I think there's probably some better options depending on where they land. Um, but uh, I like Kachuk. I'm not as high on him as some people. I know there's there's others that consider him right in the mix with Zidina and Svechnikov, and, and I'm not one of those guys. But um, I think he would bring an element that the Canucks don't really have in their pipeline, so he, he wouldn't be a terrible pick. I'm like you, though, J.D. I, uh, I wasn't mad about that pick, them passing over Matthew Kachuk at the time, and I'm, I'm still not too upset about it. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think Ole Ulevi's going to be a player, and his performance at the World Juniors was just exceptional. I thought he looked better than Miro Heiskanen, and there's been a lot of comparisons between those two, just because of where they were drafted, where they come from, both finished defensemen. One last quick note here. I'm going to ask you a little bit about a Canucks prospect, and I've noticed that you've been tweeting out these Adam Gaudet stat lines, and they are just gaudy. He's back at the top of NCAA in scoring. What can you tell us about his game? I mean, there's this kind of this narrative right now that every system has an Adam Gaudet, and perhaps there's some truth to that, but not every system could find him in the fifth round. What can, I, what can Canucks fans expect from the leading NCAA a scorer as he eventually hopes to make that jump to the NHL. Yeah, they can they can expect an honest player. So he plays a, a nice two way game. Uh, he's a north south north south player with a great speed. He's got a heavy heavy shot and he can get it off quickly. Um, you know, I, I have heard that narrative as well that you know most teams have a Godot style prospect in their pipeline, but I'm not sure if that's true. Um, he's probably the biggest jumper from his draft class. Uh, the Canucks pulling him out of the fifth round. He wasn't pegged to be this player at all. Obviously, going going in the mid late rounds there, um, and he even started out with Northeastern as a as a freshman kind of looking like he was going to be a bottom six player at best. Something happened about halfway through his freshman season where his offense just exploded and he's never looked back. Um, you know, he, he's shooting the puck a little bit less than, than last year, um, just by a hair, but he's a volume shooter. Um, he's great on the PK. He has uh, some shorthanded goals there, too. Uh, he's a clutch, clutch player, so he uh, he scored a tying goal there with less than a minute to play last night to uh, to send the game to overtime. He he comes up big when it's uh, when it's needed. He's got uh, uh, several game-winning goals. He's a really good player. He's He went back, and, and him and the Canucks both agreed that it was important to go back for the third year to, to work on his strength, to work, continue to work on his speed, um, get his face-offs up, which he's I think he's tacked on about 4% to his uh, face-off winning percentage, too, so that's nice to see. Um, you know, if he'd asked me a year ago, even though he had a, a big, big season last year, I'd, I'd still probably say he's likely a third-line center. Uh, but the way he's continued to progress, that you know, there's no reason to think that he couldn't be a second-line center or a guy who can contribute in a, in a top-six role in that regard uh, in a not-so-distant future. Uh, the thing will be is if they can get him signed and get him into the lineup at the end of this season as uh, his schedule, uh, Northeastern's a ranked team uh, in the NCAA, so he's likely playing late into March and potentially into April too. So the Canucks might not get an opportunity to, to, to get him in the lineup this year, but I think I think he'll sign. Um, I've always felt that way that he'll sign at the end of this year, and, and then you know he'll, he'll probably start on the team in, in a fourth line center role next year if everything falls right. Cam, let's do this again, shall we? I really appreciate your input uh, from Dauber Prospects, Cam Robinson. Thanks for being with us today. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Cam Robinson on Nation Network Radio, present, a presentation of Shark Club Sports Bar and Grill. We'll find out reaction from you on the poll question. Are the Canucks better than last year? Also talk a little Brock Besser as he hits the ice in Tampa Bay for the skills competition and the state of the Canucks and what they should do moving forward. Our number two, Nation Network Radio, affiliation of Canucks Army coming up on TSN 1040. 
This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. It's hard to beat a Metro Ford deal in Port Coquitlam and online at MetroMotors.com.